Hello, this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Savills that leaves no stone unturned in its search for understanding in the property world. And today we're taking a look at Savills' annual Impacts Research Programme, which each year dives deep into the biggest issues confronting all areas of real estate. Previous year's programmes have focused on things like global disruption and tipping points. And this year, the key theme is Evolve. 2019 was the year that real estate woke up to climate change and 2020 was the year they started to do things about it. And the pace is not letting up. It is going faster and faster. Cities still matter. Um, They account for 80% of global GDP. It's going to rise to 90% by 2030. There's definitely this increasing focus on space, both inside and then outside. I'm Guy Ruddle, and in the next 20 minutes or so, we'll talk about resilient cities, the way we live, work and shop, and the investment community. And we'll hear from Savills experts across disciplines and continents. As usual, I'm joined by the two people who jointly lead the Impacts programme. They're both directors of Savills World Research. Paul Tostevin is in the studio. Hello, Paul. Hello, Guy. And Sophie Chick uh, is remote, because we're not all in the studio again yet. Hello, Sophie. Hello. Uh, so you two, have you, you're coming, emerging, blinking into the sunlight, having spent months doing nothing but looking at graphs, charts, data and all this sort of stuff. How's it been this year, both of you? Challenging, but uh, yeah, exciting to get impacts sort of out into the, uh, into the public domain. Great stuff. Um, also joining us is Eri Mitsisterju, who was no stranger to Real Estate Insights, of course, as regular listeners will know. She's Savile's European Research Director based in Athens. Hello, Eri. How's, uh, how's Greece at the moment? Sunny and warm. Hello. Oh, I wish I'd never asked. Right, let's get into this then. Um, Sophie, first of all, let's, uh, uh, let's talk to you a bit about why, why you've chosen this theme of Evolve this year. Yeah, sure. So I think at the start of the pandemic, it really felt like we were going to experience this massive upheaval in how we live, work and relax. But actually, broadly speaking, COVID has just sort of furthered the evolution of how the world functions. And we've not seen this sort of wholesale revolution that uh, people might have anticipated. And this has definitely been seen in real estate. So it's triggered some sectors to begin evolving. And it's also accelerated changes that were already happening in other sectors. So in a way, it's quite comforting, actually. I hadn't thought of that till you, till you said that. But the idea that it's evolution, not revolution, is, Paul, maybe a little bit comforting. I think so. I mean, impact is always about the, the big topics shaping real estate now and in the years to come. Um, we've got a, a big thread in there around the future of the office. Obviously, a lot of us, at least in the West, have been working from home over the last year or so. Um, we've looked at the propensity to, to hybrid work in different cities across the globe. But we actually think the outlook for offices is is very bright um lots of stuff around the, the sort of the climate uh, climate issues and um how real estate will respond to that and um a lot around kind of some sort of sectors that have also been evolving over the last year or so particularly retail and logistics so uh, we'll i think we'll talk about pretty much all of that and and maybe a few other things besides uh, as we go through but the one of the things in the program which always catches my attention uh, is this idea of resilient cities cities that that uh, sort of a best place to keep on attracting the best talent 
and the best investment. And Resilient City, the Resilient Cities Index is in there once again, of course. Sophie, has the has the way you measure a, a resilient city or the, the, the whole index, has that changed at all? Yeah, it, it has actually. So we, we did our first Savile's Resilient Cities Index two years ago. And at that point, we looked at city GDP, private wealth and demographics. But actually over the last two years, we've added in a whole host of new metrics to sort of reflect how things are changing. So we now have 500 cities and we look at four key themes. So we look at economic fundamentals, knowledge economy and technology, ESG, so environmental, social and governance, and of course, real estate. The ESG, particularly the environmental factors, have been really interesting to add. So looking at things like carbon emissions per capita or the number of electric vehicles, because although climate awareness was sort of rising by in 2019, so two years ago, it hadn't hit the agenda in quite the same way as it has now. Um, Perhaps another thing worth mentioning is that it's it's also a really interesting time to be looking at the resilience of cities, given the fact that the pandemic caused some people to actually question the future of cities themselves. But I think it's become very clear over the last year or so that actually they do still remain the most important location for human interaction and a whole host of other advantages. So real estate investors are still targeting cities rather than countries. Paul, uh, are there themes about you know the, the, the cities that are going up or down or the type of cities that are, that are doing well? Sure. Yeah. I mean, as Sophie says, cities still matter. Um, They account for 80% of global GDP. It's going to rise to 90% by 2030. Um, Really interesting that the top cities uh, are actually New York, LA, um, London and Tokyo. Uh, So big global cities, deep diversified economic bases, so lots of demand for property of all types. Um, and then over look, looking over to Asia, um, some of those cities, a few in the, the sort of top of the list, but most of them a little further down, they tend to fall, fall back a little bit on those new ESG criteria that we've added, um, but do do very well on those economic indicators. So Chinese cities in particular performing very well in that respect. The, the big mega cities that, that in that part of the Indeed, world. Indeed, yes. Obviously, cities are still important, but there is this sort of sense that, that you know, people want to move a little, some people want to move a, away from cities. Eri, do you get a sense of, uh, that Euro- the smaller European cities could benefit from that? I think uh, that that is uh, true. Uh, they could benefit from that because they 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 offer uh, a better quality of life in a way compared to the to the uh, large cities. I mean, this whole trend towards you know a walkable, livable city with the green spaces, etc. Some of the of the smaller European cities fulfil this uh, criteria. Paul is talking about how. Some of those Asian cities were, were, were losing out on the ESG, the environmental, social and governance uh, tests, if you like. Uh, but I want to sort of wonder whether maybe the European cities actually are, do the opposite and, and, and are quite good at that. Indeed, um, uh, several European uh, nations perform highly uh, for these environmental, uh, social and governance factors. And uh, there is definitely, uh, you notice that some of the Nordic and Northern European uh, uh, cities in particular perform uh, uh, better in that uh, respect because they have invested more in sustainability, renewable energy, electric cars, etc., 
I'd add to that actually. I mean, you know, if you look at the European cities at the top of our list, it's Stockholm, it's it's Amsterdam, it's uh, Frankfurt and, and Munich, and you know, these these aren't tiny cities, but by global standards, they're smaller cities. So you've got that kind of benefit of city living on a, a smaller footprint, which is ultimately more sustainable. So let's move on to another theme in the report, which is uh, uh, the sort of evolution in investment thinking and, and, and the investment side of things. And for us to start with, let's stick with ESG and introduce Emily Hamilton, who is from Savills Investment Management. In fact, she's the head of ESG at Savills Investment Management. Emily, hello. Welcome to Real Estate Insights. Hi, Guy. Thanks for having me. In real estate, when we, when, you know, we talk about ESG, it's a sort of phrase that we sort of say a lot. I mean, I, I find I'm saying it all the time when I'm talking to companies. But in real estate, what do we really mean by that? That's such a great question, Guy. You're hearing the words a lot and it's actually unpacking it is really important. Um, so when you think about ESG, it's environmental, social and governance, which is what we've said. But environmental climate change is fundamentally the biggest issue for real estate, particularly carbon emissions and understanding how a building is performing with respect to its energy, its water, its waste. But you're also seeing things like green space is becoming much more important, particularly in COVID, when you need to have access to outdoor space, and particularly in the residential sector, where anyone in their homes do not want to be in somewhere that hasn't got that space. So the environmental, you might think, is on its own, but it's actually merging into the social, because therefore ESG for real estate on the social side can mean things like health and well-being. It could be um, understanding the risks in your supply chain for materials that are coming to your building. It could be, have you got a good um, area for work, for workers in terms of a place for them to go and have a break? And, and has the way that investors, property investors, think about ESG, has that changed a lot in the last year or so? It has radically changed. Really? I don't use that word lightly. Um 2019 was the year that real estate woke up to climate change and 2020 was the year they started to do things about it. And the pace is not letting up. It is going faster and faster in terms of the response, Um, particularly as more investors are becoming aware of what a stranded asset means, which is an asset that has climate risk. Yeah. So, and that, how does that manifest itself? Though, I mean, I mean, the obvious way, I guess, is that you know that they factor it in when they're deciding whether to invest in a building or a development or, or, or whatever. But are they more active sometimes than that and say, "Well, yeah, we, I won't invest until you do X or something like that." We're seeing that for some clients, but the majority in the sector, it's more to do with wanting to know what is the position of my building. So can you tell us if it's a climate risk stranded asset? Can you tell us what the emissions are? What are you doing on the social side? What are your community initiatives? We are getting a lot of questions from investors. um, And it's not just our company, it, it is the sector as a whole. Investors are really wanting to get underneath the skin of it and not just focus on if it has a rating like a BRIAM. What does that actually mean in practice? Yeah. Yeah. So, Paul, away from the ESG thing, on the investment side of things, there's been this sort of theme, if you like, for the last year or so, sort of slightly obviously of meds, beds and sheds. Uh, is that going to carry on, do you think, or, or is that not going to be the case? 
I think it will, and it's it's really coming back to the the theme of impacts this year, which is evolve. You know, this is an evolution of existing trends. Yes, the pandemic has really shone the spotlight on those sectors, but they're benefiting in the case of logistics from technological change and that shift to online. Um, in the case of of beds, actually, it's it's in some respects uh, the fact that you everyone needs a place to sleep, regardless of what's what's happening more broadly. Um, and you know, sectors like residential really benefiting from from that that sort of ch- trend towards uh, flexible living and that demand for for well managed professionally uh, sort of uh, owned and operated um, residential products, uh, but you know I would say that offices will remain important. They are the biggest, uh, most invested asset class, and uh, will continue to to be so. Sophie, I, I I'm assuming there is a recovery in the investment market. Uh, you know, happening. How is how's that manifesting? What shape is that taking? Yeah, so we actually um, did a survey as part of the impacts program. So we surveyed our global network of researchers, took advantage of the of the network that we've got there, and we looked at thirty city thirty six cities around the world to get a view of what the outlook's going to look like for real estate in twenty twenty two. So if we just sort of focus on yields, most Savills research heads expect prime yields to remain static over the next year. Um, But there are exceptions when we look at sectors. So the industrial and the residential sectors, for reasons that Paul's just mentioned, where more um, researchers expect yields to move in than remain static. Um, And again, picking up on what Paul said on offices, they are expected to be largely resilient next year. So let's move on and talk about something else. Let's talk about uh, uh, an evolution or the evolve element of of the way we live uh, and the way we shop. Um, Sophie, we've talked a lot in the last uh, year or so uh, through the pandemic about how we've changed the way we live is changing this sort of move out of cities that we've talked about a number of times, but, but working from home and, and shopping closer to home and more online shopping and all that sort of stuff. Um has that has the residential market changed all that much? Do you think, despite how much we've been talking about it, and has it is it going to carry on changing? Yeah, so I think it's it's really brought about a shift in our view of a home, um, and I think driving all of those trends that you mentioned is this real renewed passion for our properties. Um, perhaps unsurprisingly, given how much time we've spent in them recently, um, and there's definitely this increasing focus on space, both inside and then outside. So that green space as well that Emily was just talking about, um, and then of course, as you mentioned, we've seen that shift um, with in some locations, um, we're seeing an increasing number of people wanting to make the move out to the countryside. But actually, I think particularly as uh, lockdowns are lifting in, in some locations, that sort of buzz and convenience and so- social interaction you get from cities is also continuing to, to attract people. Um, so yes, I think a lot of these trends are here to stay. And 
you know, it's actually been really fascinating to see how remarkably resilient the housing markets have been over over the past year. Um, so, for example, property prices in 2020 increased 19% in Auckland, 14% in Seattle um, and 11% in Berlin, just to pick three examples. And yeah. actually growth for the for the beginning of this year as well is still looking strong in, in a number of cities around the world. And Eri, around Europe, um, so that sort of property prices, what about the sort of the way we shop and everything? You know, with that, obviously, there's been a massive rise in online shopping uh, and the like. Uh, do you see that continuing? And, and what does that mean for, for, for retail and for logistics and the, and the like? It's interesting that now shops are opening and and uh, and and where uh, it has been measured the growth of retail sales and uh, and the footfall. Uh, the the signs are is that people are going back. They are keen to go back shopping physically. Uh, nevertheless, uh, the, the the whole pandemic has uh, you know helped everybody to to get familiar with online shopping, which is very convenient and will continue to be convenient. So you know the 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 growth that we were expecting to happen maybe in three years it just happened in the space of one year, and uh, probably more or less in most countries around the world or as an average one fifth of the shopping. Uh, is and will be happening online, and, and and it will grow. It will increase further, but never. But at the same time, you know, over eighty percent of 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 the shopping will be done uh, in in physical stores. And and I yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd add to that. If you look look to Asia, um, you know, the the malls in in Asia and the Middle East are still very vibrant. These are places that people go to 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 socialise, um, and actually they're often at the heart of very sort of mixed use communities that include both residential and workspaces. So, um, you know, they're still very much thriving in, in many places there. And uh, Emily, with your ESG hat on, um, it is. Is the sort of move to online, is that a good thing or a bad? I mean, there's lots of moving of parcels around, I guess, but I suppose there's less moving of people around. I think it depends, is actually the honest answer. Um, When you think about logistics and logistics buildings, the amount and the pace that we're building at, if those buildings and our habits change in the future, we're going to be left for potentially lots of empty buildings lining big motorways and, and places. But if we're building those buildings to be flexible and adaptable, then actually it could be great because you can capitalise on a really strong um, asset market, but then it can have a change in, in the future. So we sort of talked about most areas of property in, in in detail now but what we haven't discussed yet is the changes or the evolution the, the, to the way we work um let's go to the other side of the atlantic to talk about that and say hello to rebecca humphrey who's executive vice president of savills in the u.s and head of the north america workplace practice group hello rebecca welcome to real estate insights hi there thanks so, for having me it's an absolute pleasure. So we've been talking for, you know, for, for, for a year or more about this sort of change to the way we work because we've been working from home and we've started to come back to the office and this sort of a concept of a hybrid model of working. From your perspective, and, you know, you, you, on your side of the Atlantic, you lead things, you, know, you pretty much lead things most of the time. How is that working out? Is it, is it a, a thing for the future? Is it going to keep changing? What, what's it like? 
Um, it's a great question. You know, I, I think there's a wide spectrum of what hybrid work means. Certainly, you know, the, the makeup of a hybrid workforce and a lot of the consulting we're doing right now um, can vary quite significantly company to company or, or region to region. So, you know, for one organization, um, it might mean a lot of control given to employees um, that they can kind of come and go as they please. And, you know, that might mean a very strong software solution is needed to support that. You know, if, you're, if your number of seats isn't necessarily equal to the number of heads you have in a company. Um, but alternatively, we have some clients and some models that are much more structured and, and they're assigning specific days for people to come in. I, I think the energy and the overall feeling from people is this kind of revolution concept. And certainly when you go back over the last year, a lot of the vocabulary and the buzzwords people used make you think that. But when, um, you know, when people are actually making decisions now and, and, they're, they're starting to return to work. I mean, this trigger is being pulled on that return. I think at least in the U.S., we're maybe not seeing as much of a revolution and really more of an evolution and the need for employees and employers to have that flexibility. And we've talked a lot on this uh, on this podcast today about ESG in various different areas of the real estate world. Uh, do you think occupiers are going to be more concerned with things like ESG and wellness for their employees and things like that in the future? I mean, absolutely. I, I think we're all heading there, maybe just at different pace paces. You know, everyone is heading towards this universal understanding kind of and desire to, to lower our carbon footprint, to have wellness purposefully implemented in their planning. And so, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of that shift from being an afterthought and really starting to be at the forefront of the decision making we're seeing um, clients make from a design perspective, from a space perspective, certainly the way they look at, you know, recruitment and retention of employees. How can they get more natural light and how can they have um, better air quality? How can they have better work-life balance? I think those are all things that have absolutely shifted to be must-haves to stay maintain any type of competitiveness in the recruitment and retention of talent to previously maybe being thought of as you can get away with maybe not doing so much. Yeah. There is so much massive change going on right now. Do you think that will settle down at some point? Or are we in for a period, a long period of constant evolution? I I think we're I think we're kind of settling in some respects um, as the notion of coming back has become more real to a lot of people. As you know, more and more cities in the U.S. at least are are opening. A lot have already been back at business or back in the office for quite some time. Uh, Sophie, do you have a thought on on, on whether this is this this sort of huge change we're going through now is, is is here to stay, or there's more to come? Yeah, I, I mean, I think where we're going to see the biggest change is this um, push to reduce carbon. We've got a lot of companies now with targets probably starting in the next five years, but 2030 is a pretty common target, or 2050 to get down to net zero emissions. There's still a significant amount of work that needs to be done. Right now, time for the Savile standout statistic, just because it's the impacts edition of Real Estate Insights. We don't get away without a Savile standout stat. Just Paul and, and Sophie this time, because it's their baby uh, impacts. Who wants to go first? Should we, Sophie, what about you? What's your, 
I hope it's a good one. What's your Savile standout stat for the Impacts uh, 2021? Oh, I think it's a very good one. Um, so I've chosen a stat from an article we did on solar energy, and that is that every day we get enough energy from the sun to power our planet for 27 years. Um, I think that is absolutely amazing. Um, and we're seeing that trapping this energy, solar energy, is cheaper and more efficient than we've ever seen before. And real estate can actually play a really significant part in the growth story of this um, renewable energy sector. Should have just done several standout stats for the whole episode. <laughs> Paul, what's yours? It's 109%. That's the increase in venture capital investment into telehealth platforms. So obviously during the pandemic, a lot of us had to have sort of medical GP appointments um, remotely. Uh, we've seen a lot of investment into these sort of apps and services. And ultimately that could really change the nature of healthcare space itself. Yeah, I see. That's, that's thought-provoking stuff, isn't it? Uh, thank you very much uh, for that, uh, both Paul and Sophie. Paul Tostovin and Sophie Chick, thank you very much uh, for for being here all through this episode of Real Estate Insights and talking about Impacts 2021. Uh, Rebecca Humphrey, thank you very much for being part of this from the other side of the Atlantic. Thanks so much. And you also heard earlier from Eri Mitsusturgi, who's Savile's European Research Director, and from Emily Hamilton, who's Head of ESG at Savile's Investment Management. That's it for this episode of Real Estate Insights. I hope it's been of interest and use for you. One thing I know for sure, we've only skimmed the surface of what's in Impacts 2021. So if you want to find out more, please find your way to the Savills website, the special website for Impacts, savills.co.uk slash Impacts. And anything else you want to read, you can find on savills.co.uk slash research. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening and see you next time. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast. This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.